This morning, I had the beautiful opportunity of leading the Way of the Cross uh, out in Tarpon Heights in the subdivision. And as we were walking around in the neighborhood, it's a normal busy day on a Friday, with the crowd of people that we had, I couldn't help but think about what it was like to walk through Jerusalem with Christ on that normal, everyday Friday where another Jew was being crucified. The crowds that were there, the dirt in the roads, all of the above. Made me think about, I had the opportunity uh, about a year and a half ago uh, to go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land with my class from Notre Dame. And as we went, we did the way of the cross, and we went from station to station to station, like legitimately following in the footsteps of Christ. It was a beautiful experience. But I remember getting to that 12th station where Jesus bows his head and dies. We were in the, the church of the Holy Sepulcher, and as we're standing there preparing to pray the station, I was kind of paying attention to the chapel that we were in. And in this chapel, there's a spot on the floor. There's an altar built, and there's a spot on the floor under the altar where you can reach down through a hole and touch the top of Golgotha. This place has been venerated for 2,000 years now by Christians. Beautiful, powerful experience. As I got closer and closer to my turn to, to, to kneel down and to touch the place of Golgotha, I noticed that there's an icon that whenever you kneel down and you do it, that's right in front of you. Now this icon goes by a title of Jesus. And I always thought it was, fit, it was interesting that this title of Jesus is the one that the, the, the caretakers of this church have said, this is the best way for, under, for us to understand what has happened here 2,000 years ago. This title of Christ is the best way, the best lens for us to understand what it is that happened here and why we're here, why we're at that spot of veneration. The title wasn't the light of the world. The title isn't the Prince of Peace. It's not the Lamb of God. It's not the King of the Jews even. The title of the icon is called Christ the Bridegroom. Christ, the bridegroom, the husband. When we think about that, we think about the cross, if we think about it in, line, in the line of every other title of Christ, it doesn't make sense. When we think about Golgotha, if we're going to think of Jesus as the light of the world, that look, light looks like it's extinguished. It lights out. Darkness. If we're going to think about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, He's the Prince of Peace, right? He's going to bring a new, a new era of peace. When we look at the crucifix, we think, well, the Prince of Peace was murdered. If we think about it as the Lamb of God, those of us who are involved with anyway with the Why We Worship series know the significance of the Lamb and the beauty that it has especially when it comes to the Jewish traditions, the Jewish foundations that our church is built on. If we think about it as the Lamb of God, though, that Lamb is slaughtered. 
If we think about him as the King of the Jews, the same title that Pilate and the guards continue to use throughout today's Gospel. The same title, the inscription that was written in Latin, English, uh, Latin, in Greek, and in Hebrew so that the whole world could read it. We think about it that way as Jesus Christ being the King of the Jews. And our, that king fell victim to anarchy. So why do we choose Christ the bridegroom? Why is Christ the bridegroom the image that is there at Golgotha today? Well, maybe we can look at some, some good Catholic thinkers in our past. Archbishop Fulton Sheen, a great bishop of our last century, used to be on NBC, giving some really beautiful homilies and teaching and catechetical teachings to us. He once said, he's once quoted as saying, do you know what is happening at the foot of the cross? Nuptials. That Christ, in his sacrifice on the cross, is making a nuptial promise a marriage promise, a new covenant with His people. That He's reaching out to everyone there to say yes in a whole way, in a total way. If you don't believe me, that maybe Archbishop Sheen was on a bad day, right? Like he might, not, he might not have been too clear with his language. We can rewind a little bit further, about 1,600 years before, St. Augustine, one of our church fathers, one of the pillars that our church was built on, calls the, church, calls the cross a marriage bed where Christ makes a covenant with His people. This is all throughout the Old Testament as well. In the book of, Hose, in the, book of the prophet Hosea and Isaiah, in the book of Tobit, where we hear this theme of God, God is going to love and marry His people in a particular way, in a beautiful way. St. John in today's Gospel tucks in a few details that bring this same image to life for us. The first one, the crown. We think of a crown, we think of a king. But in a Jewish context, for a Jewish wedding, the groom was seen to be as the king for the day. He was the king of the celebration. And yes, he would wear a crown on his head. A little bit further into the scripture today, we hear about this seamless tunic that the guards fight over and decide they're not going to tear it, but they're going to cast lots. A game of chance to receive this, this seamless tunic. The seamless tunic, you guessed it, on his wedding day, a groom would wear it. And finally, the words that we, that we kneel right after today. It is finished. Seems to be pretty straightforward. Tells us a lot. But if we look at what the Latin of it is, consumantum est. It is consummated. That the covenant that God promised, 
The covenant that was given, that was promised to Isaiah, to Hosea, to Tobit, the covenant that has been picked up by Sheen and by Augustine, the covenant that God promised to his people that he would send his son to be a groom to marry his people. It's been consummated, it's been ratified, it's been established by the blood of Jesus. Now, every groom, right? Every groom needs a bride. So who, if Jesus, if we're going to look at Christ as the bridegroom, then who is Christ's bride? If we look at the image and another title of Jesus, he's the new Adam. In Scripture, where does the first bride come from? The first bride is formed out of clay from, a, from the side of Adam, from a rib. The new bride, the church, is formed out of the side of Christ as he's pierced with the soldier's lance and blood and water flow, representing the sacramental life of the church, baptism, commun communion, for all of us to receive. But what does all of this have to do as Christ is being the bridegroom with today, with Good Friday. Right about the time I graduated high school, um, my grandfather was in the hospital. So I remember, being in, I remember hearing the story that he was in the hospital and um, my grandmother wanted to stay. He was in ICU, grandmother wanted to stay. And she looked at him, she looked, the nurse said, it's time, you know, comes to get everybody out. And my grandmother looks at him and says, is there any possible way that I can stay? And she says, no, I'm sorry, it's hospital policy, we can't. So they escort her out. Well, hanging back was my mom and one of my cousins to just say their goodnight, their goodbyes, and leave. And as they were waiting to say goodbye to my grandfather, the nurse looked at my grandfather and said, what, uh, you must really love her, that you want, that you want her to stay with you. And then my grandfather looks at and says, yes, I do. She said, how long have you been married? 60 plus years. That must have been really hard. And his response was simple but profound. He said, no. He said, it's the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. And I, she looked kind of shocked, and he said, love is not a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the will. People don't fall in and out of love. Their will to love just kind of runs out. Today, when we come to our bridegroom, today, in this celebration, when we come to venerate this cross, when we come to pray for the church, when we honor this day by a sense of fasting and a sense of penance. We're just re responding to the love, to the will that God has already showed us in saying that that cross is how much I love you. I'm willing to go to extreme extents to love you. Any husband that's worth his weight in anything will love his wife in a way that's sacrificial, in a way that's willing to pour out whatever it is that she needs to lift her up. 
That's exactly what God does for us today. That's exactly what Christ does for us today. When we think of the crown of thorns, each individual point, we think of the tenderness that God has and the love that God has for us. When we think of the nails in, our, in, in His hands, we think of the passion of the, distant, the, the distance that He's willing to go to show us how much He loves us. Today, absolutely, it's a day of penance. It's a day of sorrow. But also, it's a day of realizing that God really does love us that much. God really does love us to the point that He will lay down, that His Son will lay down His life for you and for me. So when we come to receive Him, when we come at the foot of the altar today, first of all, to, to venerate the cross, the very cross which he, was, which he was crucified on. We don't kiss it out of spite, but we kiss it out of the reverence at a marriage bed. That, we were, that our lives were one for, we kiss it and raise it up as that marriage bed, recognizing the covenant and the promise that God has given us. When we come today to receive our Lord in the Eucharist, we don't just say amen kind of haphazardly, but we respond to the love that He has showed us by being that bridegroom and laying down His life for us. We as Christians... We as a Catholic faithful are called to learn from Christ's example and do the same. In our families, in our, in, our, in our society, in our culture, in every way that we possibly can. St. Paul says, husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. All of us, when we live a life of love, live a life willing to sacrifice, live a life that's ready and willing to die for the other, that's when we emulate Christ. That's when we reflect His truth. That's when we reflect the way. That's when we reflect His love to a world that needs Him so bad. It was a grace moment to walk in the footsteps of Christ. But as we go forth, from today into Easter, let us bring Christ with us in our footsteps as well.